African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. It's Thursday, uh, the last day of our program today, African Dialogue. Remember, we don't come in on Fridays, so it's uh, a bit sad, but uh, we'll be back next week, Monday. But uh, hey, as we start off the program today, uh, we're looking at the exit of African countries from the International Criminal Court. What are the implications and are we seeing this exit uh, being an erosion of the court itself? And uh, uh, what would be the implications of these countries if they left uh, the International National Criminal Court. But before we get into those questions and get some of the answers from our experts, let's get our news from Anne Musa. In the headlines, armed groups in South Sudan release 145 children. Peace talks between Mozambique's opposition leader and mediators have been called off and South Africa's Finance Minister Praveen Gordon declines to comment on ruling ANC backing. Very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. A total of 145 child soldiers have been released by a former rebel group of former South Sudanese Vice First President Rehik Macha and another group in Pibo in eastern South Sudan. The United Nations Children's Agency UNICEF says it negotiated the release of the child soldiers from the two rebel groups in South Sudan. UNICEF estimates that around 16,000 children are currently working or fighting as porters with armed groups in South Sudan, including the National Army. It says more than 800 children have been recruited by armed groups this year alone. Peace talks between Mozambique's opposition leader Afonso Tlakama and mediators have reportedly been called off after a fight broke out between the government, military and former rebel fighters. The meeting was part of negotiations that opened in May to end a simmering conflict between government and the former Renamo rebel group. A new round of peace talks resumed last week after they had been halted following the killing of an opposition negotiator. The United Nations says it has it is as yet to receive instruments of withdrawal from the Rome statute from Burundi or the Gambia despite media reports to the contrary. South Africa's withdrawal last week remains the first and only official withdrawal of any party to the International Criminal Court. UN spokesperson Stefan Dujaric We've seen the media reports regarding the Gambia's decision. We have not yet received any official communications from the Gambia, nor have we received an official letter from Burundi, uh, in case someone uh, asks, on the same uh, same topic. Obviously, if this would come to pass uh, and we were to receive an official letter from the Gambia and this were to be true, uh, this is something the Secretary General would very much regret, uh, as he would regret the departure of any any member state uh, from the International Criminal Court. 
South Africa's Finance Minister Praveen Gordon has declined to respond to a question on whether he's confident of the political support of the ruling ANC. He was speaking to guests at a breakfast meeting in Johannesburg. It's less than a week before Gordon answers to four charges in court. He says he had tried not to let the case distract him while preparing a medium-term budget which he presented to Parliament on Wednesday. Gordon is accused of fraudulently approving early retirement for a deputy tax commissioner and rehiring him as a consultant at the South African Revenue Service. He will appear in court on the 2nd of November. And finally, the Group Executive of Corporate Affairs at the South African Broadcasting Corporation, Claudio Mutsuneng, has hit back at the ruling ANC's Chief Whip Jackson Mtimbu, saying that external forces are influencing Parliament's Portfolio Committee on Communications. The ANC is calling for a parliamentary inquiry into the fitness of the Public Broadcasters Board to hold office. The committee has sharply criticized the board for reappointing Mutsuneng following a Supreme Court of Appeal ruling against him. At a recent media briefing, Mtimbu said that Mutsuneng's reappointment was unlawful. Recapping the top stories, armed groups in South Sudan have released 145 children. Peace talks between Mozambique's opposition leader and mediators have reportedly been called off. And South Africa's finance minister, Praveen Gordon, has declined to comment on the ruling ANC backing. November is Disability Month in South Africa, but should be a continental event. So, let's all make a difference. Channel Africa is calling on all to join us to help needy children everywhere. South Africans are being called on to help Channel Africa help 32 children from Tumela Home for the Mentally and Physically Disabled Children in Ivory Park, east of Johannesburg. Make a difference by donating toys, non-perishable foods, disposable nappies and toiletries. Join Channel Africa on the 10th of November as we broadcast live from Tumelo House as we hand out the donations we received. Be with us as we make a difference. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. You can connect with us on Facebook at Channel Africa Radio and using our Twitter handle at Channel Africa One. Hey. 
Change Your Game is a program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the global entrepreneurship ecosystem. On the African scene, Stephen DeBacker and Olivia Beningo founded AfriWise Consult to offer clients a more holistic consulting approach and access to genuine on-the-ground expertise in sub-Saharan Africa. You know, I'm going to take it a little bit back in terms of between you and your relationship with Stephen. How did the two of you meet and how did the discussion come to you? Let's start a business together. Well, in fact, our relationship goes, goes back quite long uh, in the sense that we grew up in, uh, in Kinshasa. Uh, together, but there's uh, quite a, a gap in terms of age between between the two of us, so we didn't really were in the same circle, so to speak, in Kinshasa. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Thank you for joining me, Benjamin, once again on uh, this uh, uh, Thursday at this time at 11 uh, o'clock Central African time. And uh, today we're looking at this issue of uh, the ICC and uh, Africa's exit from the ICC. African countries have debated in the last few years for a while the mandate and the role of the International Criminal Court. But now we're seeing it getting to a point where we are formally seeing them announcing the intention to withdraw from the international judicial body. South Africa announced last week Friday that they've started a reversal process of being a member of the International Criminal Court. Joining South Africa now has been Burundi and also we've seen Gambia announcing the intention to withdraw from the ICC. We've heard conversations from other African countries such as Kenya, Namibia, Uganda, which among the countries that have their indicated interest in leaving the body. Are we starting to see the erosion of the International Criminal Court. What does this mean for those countries that are intending to leave the court itself? Are there consequences to this regard? Those are some of the issues that we'll be uh, looking at in this program today. Joining us on our program is Professor Magnus Glander, who is uh, the head of research at the Center for Human Rights at the University of Pretoria. We also have on the line Otelia Anamaunganidze, who is a Program Head, Acting and Senior Researcher in the Office of the Executive Director at the Institute of Security Studies. And uh, let's start with you, uh, Professor Kalanda, in terms of uh, what are we seeing here in terms of this process of uh, leaving the ICC? What are the signs that have actually been unfolding in the last two years? Uh, We've seen this conversation taking place between African countries under the African Union. Now, officially, we're seeing this actually physically happening, starting with South Africa. Your thoughts around reflections on the ICC uh, exit? No, I think uh, it, it's only uh, South Africa that has uh, submitted its actual notice of, uh, of withdrawal and sure. that has been uh, noticed by, by the UN Secretary General. Uh, of course, there has been then uh, Burundi uh, having adopted it in Parliament uh, even before South Africa, but not having submitted their notice of withdrawal yet, mm. uh, Gambia coming along uh, the track, uh, and a few others. Uh, it could be interesting to note also that the um, the head of the ICC uh, Assembly uh, is the uh, foreign minister of, of Senegal, uh, and he called on states not to withdraw, uh, even though the African Union 
has has called on 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 states to withdraw. So I mean, there is a a conflict within uh, Africa, uh, and there is a few a few states that are not taking steps to uh, to withdraw, and we will have to see how how far that that goes. Now, let me come to you, Tilia, in terms of uh, South Africa's reasoning with its exit uh, from uh, the ICC itself. Uh, I know we've heard a lot of conversations around it and that the clarity in itself is still a bit vague at this particular moment. I know everyone has been citing the Al-Bashir case when he was in South Africa and uh, there was an issue for uh, the case uh, whereby he was supposed to be actually handed over to the ICC itself and the South Africa. African government refused to do so. So do you think that could be the major reason? And I know that there's conversations that are dominating that uh, refer to that al-Bashir situation. Right. So the South African government's uh, reasons that they have given in terms of why, um, that, or uh, let me clarify, the South African executive, because the decision was a unilateral decision of the executive that is now being contested in court, um, by by a number of organizations. The, the, the decision they gave was that the work of the International Criminal Court goes against South Africa's efforts to promote peace on the African continent, citing the, the trip of al-Bashir to South Africa for the AU summit. Now, while that is an argument that, can, uh, that one can a- attempt to make, um, there are some flaws in that argument because the the peace process in Sudan, for example, is not a peace process that started in 2015, nor with the trip of al-Bashir. And in fact, the former president of South Africa, Thabo Mbeki, headed the, uh, the AU high-level panel into Darfur, which in 2009 released a report on, on what needs to be done in terms of a comprehensive peace. In, in, in Sudan, and one of their recommendations was actually that in order for you to be able to establish long-lasting, sustainable peace, you do need to have justice mechanisms as well. Mm. You do need to have accountability and criminal responsibility for actions committed um, within Darfur. And so to, to suggest that this is entire, that the work of the International Criminal Court goes against the interests of peace is in many ways in conflict with what has already been stated around the need to have both peace and justice to work together. Mm. Very interesting insights that, that you highlight, Otilia. But let me also bring in Angela uh, Mudukuti, who's joining us from the South Africa Litigation Center. Uh, Angela, thank you for giving us your time. Now, in terms of the issue of South Africa starting this process itself, we know that uh, there are those who say this could create a rippling effect to other African countries following suit in terms of taking a more formalized decision in dealing with this uh, situation of the exit of the ICC. Uh, Angela, do you see South Africa leading the way into a bigger ripple effect? First of all, thank you for having me. To answer your question, I think we are at risk of being a ripple effect. However, we have to note that states sign us as sovereign individual states and can resign on that or unsign on that basis. And so it's not to say that just because one has done it, the other has done it. It's also not to say that just because the African Union has called for this, that all will follow suit. It is a sovereign decision that needs to go through necessary domestic procedures. But that being said, I think South Africa has set something in motion that could be detrimental for international justice continentally. Why do you say that, Angela? Because South Africa is respected in terms of its 
position in human rights and international justice in South Africa was at the forefront of the creation of the International Criminal Court. And so that position and that leverage that it has amongst South African peers, I think, will have a bearing on whether other states decide to withdraw from the Rome Statute or not. Well, I'm going to take a quick break and I'm going to come back to some of those issues because when you speak about human rights, it's almost as uh, reflected in the past an imposition uh, for African countries uh, to have a corrective measure whereby we know that uh, even members of the Security Council of the United Nations are not members of uh, the uh, International Criminal Court. So why are we having two separate judgments and a certain few uh, sets of standards uh, for uh, a certain uh, states and where other states don't have that imposition. But we'll come back to that human rights question there. Hey, give us your thoughts. Remember, you can go to our Twitter handle at African Dialogue or at Channel Africa One. We want to hear your views on this conversation. Are you thinking that we're seeing the erosion here of the International Criminal Court and its relevance? Give us your thoughts. November is Disability Month in South Africa, but should be a continental event. So let's all make a difference. Channel Africa is calling on all to join us to help needy children everywhere. South Africans are being called on to help Channel Africa help 32 children from Tumela Home for the Mentally and Physically Disabled Children in Ivory Park, east of Johannesburg. Make a difference by donating toys, non-perishable foods, disposable nappies and toiletries. Join Channel Africa on the 10th of November as we broadcast live from Tumelo House as we hand out the donations we received. Be with us as we make a difference. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Today we're looking at uh, the exit of uh, African countries uh, from the International Criminal Court, as was highlighted by uh, Professor Magna Kilinda, is that uh, South Africa is the only country that has currently, uh, you know, officially uh, started the process to exit. We know that uh, uh, it's a conversation amongst other countries, but it seems South Africa is leading the way in this regard. God and uh, we we know that it's an autonomous uh, decision for each country to make. But I want to come back to you, Professor Magnus Kalinda, in terms of looking at that human rights issue, saying that if you leave the ICC, it could have uh, implications in terms of your reputation on how the world sees you in regards to uh, human rights issues. But hey, we've seen uh, countries that are part of the Security Council. Uh, Almost five of them are not actually members of the International Criminal Court. So why impose this human rights uh, uh, sentiment towards African countries if uh, we have uh, leading power blocks not even part of this uh, judicial body? Well, the the idea behind the ICC uh, to a large degree developed within uh, within Africa uh, and uh, many of. Uh, the leading discussions around establishing the ICC in, in, in the 90s uh, came from came from Africa, so uh, that the other states don't want to participate is sort of 
their problem. Uh, there is a need for international criminal justice, and uh, that China, Russia, uh, and the United States, for example, uh, don't participate in the system. Uh, that is very regrettable, but that doesn't mean that uh, countries who want to commit to international criminal justice should, uh, shouldn't do it. Uh, I mean, there's always a problem in the international system. There's a lot of inequality in the international system, and uh, Africa is often on given the short hand in, 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 in this uh, by, by major uh, powers. Uh, but uh, the ICC is an organization driven by the member states, those that have committed to the uh, to international criminal justice, uh, mm. and I think that's the right thing to do. Mm. Um, your thoughts there, Otelia, um, on that issue of human rights and uh, uh, the fact that uh, it, the ICC does originate from the continent. So, hey, why not follow up on its own commitment? Um, I think there's always a, a, an important, maybe lesson across the board for for us to for us to take heed of, and that is, uh, firstly, that to say that other countries are not party to the Rome Statute uh, doesn't mean that um, uh, a country that has previously supported uh, advancing human rights must leave the institution on that basis, right? Because ultimately, you know, to, to, to use an easy analogy, it's almost like throwing the baby out with the bathwater, that because the United States doesn't do this, therefore we mustn't do it. At the end of the day, um, the, the need and the ideal, the ideal would be that the International Criminal Court is a universal court, that it is a court that is universally ratified, but also that receives cooperation from all states. Um, that is the ideal. However, where we are at the moment is a situation where 124 countries have signed up to it wanting to promote um, human rights, but more importantly, I think, wanting to find accountability for the commission of these serious crimes. Now, the one thing that we cannot deny um, is that these crimes are being committed on the African continent, Mm. and ultimately it is African citizens, as well as citizens elsewhere in the world, but it is African citizens that are victims to these crimes. So while we focus on the al-Bashirs of the world, uh, we also need to be focusing on why these allegations are there, and that ultimately it is the human rights of those people, not necessarily about the perpetrator, but really about making sure that those people get the justice. And Africa shouldn't be seen to be on the side of those who don't want to sign up, including the three members of the Permanent Five who are not party to the Rome Statute. Mm. Well, that's an interesting dynamic because it brings the issue of the legitimacy of uh, the ICC in itself. Why I say that is because there was a turnaround, especially when it came to the moment where the International Criminal Court saw Uhuru Kenyatta's charges for Kenya ethnic violence being dropped. And a lot of conversations started being around how legitimate is this court Angela, your thoughts around that, because this is where we saw people questioning what was the agenda of the International Criminal Court. I think we need to remember that those cases came before the ICC after Kenya was given an opportunity to domestically address the crimes, and Kenya failed to deliver on that. 
And that's when the ICC steps in as a court of last resort. That steps in when states are unwilling or unable. So that's the first important premise. Second of all, yes, it is true that the Kenyatta case and the Ruto case collapsed for various reasons, including lack of evidence. But I think that is a testament to the legitimacy of the court, because it is a court that functions based on evidence. If there is insufficient evidence, there can be no prosecution. Mm -hmm. And as tragic as that outcome is for the victims of the crime and the controversy surrounding how evidence disappeared in these cases, I think it's a testament to the legitimacy of the International Criminal Court as a judicial body. Mm. And also... There's another argument, and let me stay with you, Angela, on this one, is the fact that are we not duplicating functions with the International Criminal Court because of the African Court on Human and People's Rights is already established on the African uh, continent, which is to ensure protection of human and people's rights on the continent. Is that not a duplication of functions? I heard, actually, the the, uh, African Union uh, uh, Commission Chair, Kosazana Zamini Zuma, highlighting the fact that it's not necessarily a tragedy the fact that uh, African countries are exiting the ICC because already you also have the African Court on Human and People's Rights that's functioning well and actually also having cases that refer to some of the issues that are dealt with in the ICC That couldn't be further from the truth because the current African Court has no criminal jurisdiction to try genocide, war crimes and crimes against humanity Mm. So there is no regional continental court that can deal with these crimes. And our domestic framework also, in many instances, lack the capacity and or the legislative framework. So it's not true to say that the African court is dealing with these cases because it doesn't have the capacity and it doesn't have the jurisdiction. Mm. In addition, South Africa, for example, hasn't ratified the Malabo Protocol, commonly known as the protocol that seeks this court criminal jurisdiction. And a number of states also haven't ratified that protocol. And even if they did, that protocol ensures immunity for heads of state and senior government officials during their term in office, which means that the victims of these crimes must wait until someone is out of office Mm. before there can be prosecution. I don't think that bodes well for justice on the continent. I don't think that bodes well for the victims of these crimes because nobody is above the law. Mm. Professor Mechnes, Kilenda, your thoughts on where we are with this conversation? No, just to say that, I mean, the, the Malabo Protocol that would then give the, uh, the African court criminal jurisdiction is, is very far from coming into function. Uh, there's no state that has ratified that protocol, uh, and it would take 15 states to ratify it before it could enter into force. Uh, then when that would happen, you would still have problems around uh, financing, for example. Running international criminal justice is quite an expensive uh, venture. Uh, so, so there are many different issues uh, that abound where, when South Africa states that, oh, no, we are very much committed to uh, international criminal justice and accountability, but uh, it rings hollow when uh, they present something as an alternative that doesn't really exist as such. Uh, and as Angela mentioned, the, uh, the immunity issues and so forth that exist under that framework, even if it would enter into force. Mm. So are we saying that if we exit the International Criminal Court, there would not be any alternative for those who suffer uh, crimes against humanity and genocide and wars, Atelier? Are we saying that uh, there would be no options left for these uh, types of cases? Mm, um, I'm just going to take another step back. The International Criminal Court is intended to be a court of last resort. The presumption there is that states, have the primary jurisdiction, right? 
that states are dealing with these crimes themselves and that the ICC only intervenes if they're unable or unwilling. So in response to your question, right, in the absence of the International Criminal Court, Mm. if states are not dealing with these crimes themselves, so if states are not prosecuting war crimes, crimes against humanity and genocide, on the one hand, but also if they if they are not uh, prosecuting the most responsible for those crimes, then it means what is left is an impunity gap, because it means that people do not have any recourse at a regional or continental level anymore, and that is that is of serious concern. But that doesn't the existence of the International Criminal Court does not take away mm-hmm. states' responsibilities to deal with these crimes themselves. So when a state, for example, says the ICC is looking into crimes against humanity, war crimes, and genocide, but they shouldn't be, their positioning should actually be the ICC should not be doing this because we are prosecuting these crimes Mm. and we are willing to do so. Unfortunately, the reality is that countries are not prosecuting these crimes. Some are, like the Democratic Republic of the Congo, are prosecuting these crimes in Cote d'Ivoire in West Africa. Hmm. But at the moment, for example, in Kenya, as an example, uh, despite over 4,000 dockets being presented uh, to the prosecuting authority on post-election violence from 2007-2008, there hasn't been a single prosecution of those crimes as international crimes. There have been a few that have been dealt with, for example, malicious destruction of property, but they haven't really dealt with them within the scope of crimes against humanity, Mm. which means the majority of victims, even though the Kenyan cases were there, it didn't change the fact that Kenya ought to also have been doing these prosecutions so that the ICC serves as a complementary mechanism to national jurisdictions, Mm. not the other way around. Well, it uh, complex makes the situation much more complex, doesn't it? Uh, we want to hear your thoughts. What does it mean to see us exiting uh, as a continent from the International Criminal Court? Give us your thoughts. Remember, you can SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Tweet us at African Dialogue or at Channel Africa One. We want to hear your thoughts. If you're just joining us, we have on the line Professor Magnus Kilinda, who is uh, the head of researcher the Center for Human Rights at the University of Pretoria. Also on the line is Otelia Anna Mangonidze, who is a program head acting and senior researcher in the Office of the Executive Director at the Institute for Security Studies. We also have Angela Muduguti, who is joining us from the Southern Africa Litigation Center. Let's take a break. It's 11.30 Central African Time. We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605 47 
double one. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. Thank you for joining us. Remember, we come to you every Monday to Thursday, and uh, we look at the issues of the continent of Africa. And we know that the big issue right now is the issue of the ICC and the exit of South Africa uh, from the International Criminal Court. It has started that particular process. And the reasons that are announced was because of the dispute last year over a visit by Sudanese President Omar al-Bashir, who is wanted by the ICC for alleged war crimes, crimes against humanity and a genocide in Defer. But also the huge area of uh, contest, uh, contestation is the issue of the Re- Roman statute here. And it's been interesting to hear some of the views that have come out uh, of from the uh, South Africa's uh, Department of Justice. We invited them uh, to this conversation and we couldn't get them uh, uh, to actually participate. But what was interesting was to hear the... the, the Minister of Justice of South Africa's views looking at uh, the Roman statute and saying that, that the treaty is in conflict and is inconsistent with South Africa's diplomatic immunity law. The treaty hinders South Africa's goal of promotion of peace talks, which can include hosting adversaries on its soil. This is what uh, uh, the Minister of Justice, Michael Masuta, was uh, actually uh, you know, uh, arguing for the reasons being of our uh, not participating in the ICC anymore. Professor Magnus Kalanda, your thoughts of this ration, rationalization uh, from the Department of Justice? No, for one thing, uh, I, I believe that uh, the, uh, the Immunities uh, and the Immunities Act uh, under South African law refers to, uh, to immunity under international law. Uh, I think, for example, the Genocide Convention would have removed uh, President al-Bashir's uh, immunity uh, so that uh, there's not really that conflict between the ICC Act uh, and the Diplomatic Immunities Act. Uh, but then uh, the government is taking thing too too far mm. uh, throwing out the baby with the baby bathwater when they when they call for just a repeal of the ICC act mm. as part of this process they are now uh, uh, initiating uh, they started with this as an executive act but now they realized oops we need to also to uh, to consult um, parliament mm. uh, in order to to do this uh, amendment or or to repeal the act if they repeal the act then they take away and genocide crimes against humanity and war crimes as crimes under South African law. Mm. Uh, is that really what we, uh, what we want? Uh, non regarding whether they feel that the ICC is, a, uh, is an institution that doesn't work as, as they would have liked it to be, uh, but uh, those crimes should anyway still be crimes under South African legislation with, mm. uh, with extraterritorial application. Mm. Well, also, I'm also interested with the idea of this uh, uh, emphasis on their reasoning of uh, diplomatic immunity law. Tilia, let me bring you in. Is this a good enough reason? Can't we actually uh, negotiate this area with the ICC itself internally? Mm-mm. So to 
to raise the, the issue now of diplomatic immunities almost seems peculiar. The reason I say that is because the Rome Statute uh, containing Article 27 that says no one is immune from prosecution um, was developed and adopted prior to South Africa um, implementing, well, for obviously the Rome Statute, but also even the Diplomatic Immunities Act. So there, there were things that they could have dealt with at parliamentary level 14 years ago, and they didn't. And in respect of the implementation of the Rome Statute Act, which coincidentally actually came after the Diplomatic Immunities Act in South Africa, where they take away immunity in respect of these serious crimes. So they don't say that uh, diplomats, for example, will not be immune from criminal prosecution in respect of other issues. It's very specific to war crimes, crimes against humanity, and genocide. This has been the status quo in South Africa for the past 14 years. To now raise it today as an issue that prohibits South Africa from engaging in international criminal justice, in my mind, is quite disingenuous. And the reason I say this is because in 2009, when uh, the current president, uh, Jacob Zuma, was being inaugurated, instead of uh, inviting al-Bashir to attend, they actually informed him that because we have the implementation of the Rome Statute Act in force in South Africa, you cannot attend the inauguration because you would be arrested. This was 2009. The question then is what has changed in, in, in our politics that suddenly something that we thought we could do mm. in the past, we cannot do anymore. Mm. Angela, let me bring you in your thoughts. I think I just want to add first of all to this claim that the ICC implementation act is hindering South Africa's mediation efforts. For example, let's just take Darfur, Sudan. South Africa has been mediating since 2007. The ICC Act has been in place since 2002, and never has it been raised as a hindrance to their mediation efforts. So I think that's a disingenuous response. And I have to agree with Atelier as well that I, I just don't think that the, the state has thought this through, and I don't think that they're being genuine, and I don't think that their solution to leave the Rome Statute serves anybody. And Angela, what would the consequences then be for South Africa exiting the ICC from an international point of view? I know it plays a very big role in mediation for the African continent on various fronts, from an economic perspective, from a political area, and also in terms of the development agenda of the continent on many fronts, including human rights. I think South Africa has significantly damaged its reputation and its standing as one of the strongest proponents of human rights continentally. I think the consequences of this are the ripple effect we've, the potential ripple effect we've already discussed, and also the fact that South Africans themselves will no longer have access to international justice. I think there's a fundamental access to justice issue here that's been overlooked because once the Implementation Act is re- repealed, that is the seminal piece of legislation that governs the prosecution and investigation of these international crimes. Without it, there is a significant gap in the framework. And then as we said also, regionally, there are no mechanisms there. So I think South Africans themselves are at stake, have their access to justice at risk. Mm. I'll tell you your thoughts on the consequences of this decision and also maybe from a macro perspective for the African continent, seeing that other countries are also considering this move. 
I think uh, the one thing which is unfortunate to say is if South Africa was looking to take a leadership role on the African continent, this is perhaps not the way to go about it because it it, it suggests that uh, our view of African solutions to African problems is a view that is actually counter to, to the interests of justice, which should not be the case. And and really on a continental level, um, given that these are crimes that are being committed at the moment, we are seeing conflicts in South Sudan, in the Central African Republic, uh, Somalia, Nigeria. Those are places that are in dire need, not just of peace, but also of justice. And if South Africa's position is that we will not promote the interests of justice, then it, it, it does put... Um, it does put us in a difficult position as a country where we are unable to really resolve conflicts in a way that we think we would be able to without the intervention of justice institutions. So I do think this is something that needs a thorough rethink, not just for a domestic level, but also at the continental and regional level. Well, should we not rather be thinking of creating our own internal processes, Professor Magnus Kalanda, if we disagree with the, uh, the likes of the ICC, create our own judiciary, judiciary system that actually employs uh, some of uh, the mandates that the ICC has? I think so, and I mean that's why uh, one wonders why uh, they they want to uh, to repeal the ICC Act as a whole instead of uh, then then uh, amending it if if that's the route that South Africa wants to to go in the end after this has uh, been debated more in in Parliament and so forth. I was thinking there there would be interesting days ahead. The uh, the Assembly of uh, State Parties of the ICC is meeting in two weeks' uh, time and. Uh, I guess there will be discussions uh, among the various delegations on the uh, implications of, of of this and the possible uh, way forward. Well, that's how we're going to wrap it up. Thank you to our guests. Thank you for giving us your time. Let me get final sentiments before I let you go. On a way forward from here, maybe from a, a citizen perspective, we didn't speak about the citizen's role in this. Uh, what should be done here, Angela, in terms of a way forward uh, from an African perspective? Um, I'll start from a domestic perspective. Hopefully, when the bill is introduced to repeal the Implementation Act, there will be a thorough process of public consultation and public participation, and I urge all citizens to take part in that process, as we will be doing. Also, there's the legal challenge, challenging the constitutionality of withdrawal from the Rome Statute, another thing that would benefit greatly from public support. Continentally as well, I think we should work to build our own domestic justice systems, our regional courts, and to make sure that our parliamentarians and our heads of states understand the need for international justice, and that the citizens have a lot to do with as far as who they vote for and who they give power to. Otelia, mm. I couldn't... Uh, uh just wrap up the program without speaking about the citizenry role in this. Your thoughts on that? I think ultimately we do need to remember that these systems and structures are created not just for the leaders, but also for people like yourself and myself. And it's important that citizens know that and that they know the impact that uh, these decisions have on them. I agree totally with Angela's assessment and her view on issues around the way forward. Just to add there, my very last point is we need to move away from a conversation where we pit justice against peace. And we need to recognize that these two things 
are probably the only bedfellows we need to ultimately achieve what we're looking for on the African continent, which is not just peace and justice, but also safety, security, and ultimately that we are all in a better place developmentally. Professor Kalinda, have the last say. No, just to say that, I mean, it's, uh, it's sad when, when immunity should just take precedence uh, over justice. And, uh, and, and I think it's, at least this has generated a debate on, on, on these issues. And hopefully uh, the, um, the government takes some heed of the discussion uh, and uh, look at it more carefully on, on how to proceed, both in relation to how to apply constitutional procedures uh, in a correct uh, manner, uh, but also in relation to the underlying issues uh, and reflect a bit more before they take hasty decisions. Well, thank you to our guests. It's been fantastic speaking to the three of you. Thank you to Professor Magnus Kalender, who's the head of research at the Center for Human Rights at the University of Pretoria. Thank you to Angela Mudugut, who's joining us uh, from the South Africa Litigation Center. I'm not sure if your title is researcher, Angela. Is that right? No, I'm the International Criminal Justice Lawyer. Fantastic. Thank you for clarifying that for me. And thank you as well to Italia Anna Maungunidze, who is the Program Head and uh, Acting and Senior Researcher in the Office of the Executive Director at the Institute for Security Studies. Thank you all for making your time available for us, Channel Africa. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. That's how we wrap it up. It takes us to 11.45. It's Central African time. Let's uh, quickly move on. Uh, Let's get our business news. Risani Matebula is standing by. Good morning. Thanks, uh, Benjamin. The International Monetary Fund says uh, South Africa's current account deficit is not nearly as bad as when it was considered part of the so-called Fragile Five. South Africa was one of the five countries, including Turkey, Brazil and Indonesia. They got their name in 2013 when hints emerged that the U.S. Federal Reserve would end its easy money policy. Botswana's economy will grow by an average 4.4% annually from April next year to March 2023. Botswana will introduce a new fiscal rule next year that will see its diamond producers save 40% of the Southern African nation's annual mineral revenue in a sovereign wealth fund. Secretary for Finance and Economic Policy Daufula Nyamadzabo says uh, when implemented, the country's national development plan will see 40% of minerals revenues uh, saved with the Bank of Botswana under the country's sovereign wealth fund, the Pula Fund. Kenya Airways says its pretext loss has narrowed sharply in the six months through September as it made at uh, an opening profit. The airline, uh, 27% owned by Air France KLM, has been reducing the size of its fleet. CEO Mbu Vinguze says the carrier, which is also partly state-owned, made an operating profit of 8.9 million US dollars for the six months to end September. And low economic growth and problems facing some state-owned enterprises have been cited as some of the factors that may put South Africa at a risk of a downgrade. Tsepo Mungwai reports. Gordon is calling for collaborative approach across all state departments and entities. He has appealed to leaders in government to avoid contradictions. 
that's with lack of clarity on certain policies affecting the rate of new investments. Zambia's inflation has slowed sharply to 12.5% year-on-year in October from 18.9% in September. The monthly inflation rate rose to 0.5% in September from 0.1% the previous month. This significant reduction in the annual rate of inflation for October 2016 is mainly attributed to the full impact of the base effect. We move now to your economic indicators. Uh, the dollar trading at 13.80, South of Rand, 10.46. Botswana Pula, 9.81. Zambian Kwacha, also trading at 0.81 to the British pound and 0.91 against the euro. Commodities, gold, $1,268. Uh, platinum, $964 per fine ounce. Brent crude oil, $50.50 per barrel. That's how it's looking right now. I'll be back in an hour's time with uh, the latest in your economics news. In our sports update this hour, we begin with rugby news. Mark Alexander has been elected unopposed as the new president of South African Rugby Union. He fills the vacancy after the resignation of Oregon Hoskins in August. Alexander, who has served as deputy president since 2007, will be president until the next elections in 2018. Bolland's Francois Davids will succeed Alexander as deputy president, while Valke president Vivian Lothering has been elected to take over Davids' place. And in hockey news, South Africa's national under-21 men's hockey team will be heading for the Junior World Cup, which takes place in Lucknow in India from the 8th to the 18th of December. The players are not full-time professionals, and coach Gareth Ewing says he has devised a training program to help each and every one of his players that are currently scattered around the country. They're on a conditioning program, so they've got to submit a weekly report just to let you know how they're doing, and and we obviously got to keep an eye on their injuries and that kind of thing. Uh, And they all have skills focuses that that I've sent them. So they're they're training by themselves, and they're also training in groups with the the high-performance stuff that's happening in their regions, and uh, just trying to stay as fit and as busy with hockey as they can be, uh, just so that by the time we get to camp uh, at the end of November, we'll be able to just jump straight into training. You know, we've got boys in the Kaateng region, we've got boys in in the KZN region, region and we've got boys in the Western Cape. Um, so there is you know, regional high performance happening with the senior squad. So they train along with those guys as well and it's quite easy for them to, to find people to train with and to get out and be as busy as they can be. Ewing believes the excitement levels from his players will bode well for them once they take on the field. Well, the guys are so excited. I think everybody is realizing it's just around the corner now and even though they've got exam pressure and whatever, they're really thinking about it all the time. And, and I think it's going to be such a wonderful experience for them. You know, it's, um, as I said, hockey is one of the homes of, India is one of the homes of hockey in the world. And to even play against India there is just going to be an absolutely fantastic experience. And to, to get the, to get the cultural experience and to live a different lifestyle is just going to be wonderful. And the boys really, really can't wait. 
On to football news, South African under-20 men's team Amajida. Head coach Tabo Sinong says the Kosafa under-20 youth tournament will help prepare his team for the African Youth Championship, the AYC, next year in Zambia. Sinong expressed these views during the launch and the draw of the Kosafa tourney at the Moruleng Stadium in Rustenburg, South Africa's northwest province. A tournament will take place at Mukhwasi and Moruleng Stadiums from the 7th until the 16th of December. Amachida have been drawn in a tough group comprising of Senegal, Cameroon and Sudan in the AYC tournament. Look, it's a very important tournament uh, because uh, we, are, we are defending champions. Of course, we need to defend the cup, but uh, most importantly, we need to prepare for the AFCON. Next year, uh, Feb in Zambia, and uh, we're happy that already we have very strong teams in our group, Group A, and uh, they will uh, give our boys... Uh, the needed preparation that they will face in Zambia, you know, physically, tactically, mentally, our boys will be tested. Zimbabwe have called up uncapped Sima Karl Mumba and batsman Tarisai Musakanda for the two-test home series against Sri Lanka starting in Harare on Saturday. There is also a recall after five years for Sima Chris Mbofu, while all-rounder Malcolm Waller is back in the squad for the first time since 2014, having recently scored four half-centuries against the touring Pakistan A-side. And that's the Sport News this hour. Thank you so much uh, for joining us today. It's been a great program, informative, and uh, wonder if we should be worried about our exit from the uh, International Criminal Court. Maybe we should have debated this more, thought about it more, reflected on it a little bit more. Maybe your thoughts on it. Remember, at Channel Africa One, that's where you can tweet us or at African Dialogue, or simply SMS us your thoughts on our program. We want to hear from you. Our SMS is plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three. Or you can email us at info at channelafrica.org. I'm Benjamin Mushatama. Thank you for joining me this week here on African Dialogue. Until next week, we'll be back on Monday. Uh, so do enjoy your weekend since we won't see you tomorrow. And uh, we're going to wrap it up with some music uh, from the legend himself, a trombonist and a great singer, uh, Jonas Ngwangwa from South Africa. This one is titled Freedom for Some. <laughs>